Hey, chiropractors and marketers. We are ready for another modern chiropractic marketing show with Dr. Kevin Christie, where we discuss the latest in marketing strategies, content marketing, direct response marketing, and business development with some of the leading experts in the industry. Welcome. This is Dr. Kevin Christie, the host of the Modern Chiropractic Marketing Show. And today I am actually bringing you a unique episode. It's going to be a compilation episode around the topic of associate compensation. We really wanted to try to dive in and and bridge that gap between associate expectations and owner's affordability. Sometimes, unfortunately, the owner's greed, right? I think that that is a problem. I think there's a problem on both ends as far as I think coming out of school, associates may be expecting too much, but I don't blame them for that per se. Like they're coming out with a lot of debt, cost of living's high, depending on what areas you're in. There's a lot of factors into why an associate feels like they should make a, a certain amount. And I and I totally get it. And then there's owners that are struggling, frankly, just to uh, turn a profit and pay themselves. And so I think we get in, we're getting into this problem where if we expect owners to pay a certain amount that's like a, a, a fixed salary. We expect that from them. We may run into an issue where there's not enough jobs co- provided uh, for chiropractic students uh, coming out of school, right? I think I see that happening where because of many factors, like uh, obviously insurance reimbursement's terrible. We're trying to provide a high level of care for these patients. And, and frankly, the insurances aren't paying for that anymore. And so revenue's gone down for the owner, profit has gone down for the owner, covered services have has gone down, insurances have high in-network deductibles and high in-network co-pays, so office visits are going down. Frankly, if you're not very familiar with what insurance is trying to do, is they're trying to get patients not to use their insurance as much, right? Like that's why they have high co-pays and high deductibles. Like they're really forcing the hand of the patient to seek care when they absolutely need it and be willing to take on the burden of it. So the days of, you know, the $10 copay and unlimited visits are gone. And so imagine like it's 1995 and you had, a, you know, the majority of the people that you talk to have insurances that have no deductible and have a $10 copay and they can come unlimited like how easy would that be to get them to come into your office, right? And that's how it used to be. And then you would get reimbursed $100 a visit. So there was a lot of money to be made and a lot of profit. And so you could, for the time, afford to have higher salaries. Well, those days are gone and people in your community really have to come out of pocket. So you're, it's harder to build that practice that is thriving and growing with tons of office visits and tons of new patients and stuff. It can be done. And obviously that's the whole purpose of this podcast and and the Facebook group is they get you to understand how you can do it. And so it definitely can be done, but it's not as easy as it was. And so there's not as many chiropractic owners, especially the ones that are doing things the right way. And that's who we're speaking to as my audience. I, I don't have any time for uh, chiropractors that are doing it the wrong way to make money. So we're talking about the ones doing it the right way. There's not as many that are out there that can afford to bring on an associate and cut a check for $65,000, $75,000 a year salary. 
just for coming in and doing that. So it's unfortunate, but that's the state of the profession. And we have to try to bridge that gap. And hopefully we can start to dive into compensation structures that provides jobs for young associates. Now, let's sidebar a little bit. If you've got 10, 15 years of experience and you're moving to a different location and you're looking for an associateship, I do think that there is your ability to command a little bit more of a salary because you're very experienced and there's not as much onboarding. But the reality of, of it is, is as a young associate, especially coming out of school, that the owner is taking a lot of uh, investment risk and clinical risk and, uh, and a lot of different risks on bringing in a young associate with not, you know, without a lot of experience. And obviously, since we don't have residencies like other, you know, like the medical profession and stuff like that, there's not a lot of real hands-on real world experience for associates coming out. And so you have to understand that part of it as well, but kind of go back to it. Like, so we're kind of talking about the younger associates here and it's hard to just cut that check for that amount when there's not a ton of profits there. So what we're seeing a lot of, if it's done right, I think, and what you're going to get through these different interviews that I did with these doctors, you're going to see that there is kind of a hybrid of making an affordable living, like a healthy salary. And and the term healthy really is um, dependent on where you're at, right? Like um, let's just make up numbers or let's just make up cities. Like if you're going to San Francisco, healthy (laughs) salary means a whole lot different than if you're going to, you know, Omaha, Nebraska, right? So it's hard to play that game of what a healthy salary is for a chiropractor because of the regions. And we have an audience that's international as well. But I think we all know how to determine what would be a healthy salary that could at least pay the bills and then have that hybrid of that plus also compensation incentives to grow as an associate and make real money, right? Like I, I think there needs to be a path for an associate if they're there for a period of time, let's just call it three to five years or more, but if there's a path to get to that six figure number right now, it doesn't mean that that associate's going to get there if they're not producing in that structure and they're not going out and doing what they need to do to grow a practice. So I think that's part of it, like to to expect a an owner, and I, I'm sure there's some out there. But again, I'm trying to to bridge the gap on a more larger scale. But I'm sure there's some out there that can write a hundred thousand dollar a year salary check to an associate. I don't think there's a lot, but I'm sure there are. There has to be that combination of the two to get there, and the path of it. And I think the relationship between the owner and associate has to be that there's growth financially and that there's growth professionally. And I think that's really going to be the secret sauce. And we're going to dive into that with some of these owners today, but there has to be that. I think that's vital. I think it's also the communication between the owner and the associates key. Like what's the goal, right? Like I, I do think, and I, I saw there was something out there like two thirds of chiropractors, this could be a made up number, but it's something like that. It's probably like that to where at some point they want to be a business owner, right? Like chiropractors tend to be pretty entrepreneurial and they, and they want to be, have their own practice for the most part. I, not all, but you need to know that. And if that person is in that two thirds and does want to have their own practice, 
you would be doing them a disservice if you didn't expect them to produce and bring in a business and, and go and network and, and generate new patients. Because frankly, if they don't have to do that and they don't learn how to do that as an associate, what do you think is going to happen when they do go and open up their own practice? Uh, sadly, so many chiropractors are failing and you would be doing a disservice if you know you have an associate that wants to grow professionally and financially and at some point potentially have their own practice. You, you need to have it set up to where they're generating business for the practice and for themselves and then getting compensated for that. And that's where I think that conversation has to happen. Um, if it's an associate that's just looking for a job and doesn't really ever want to do their own because there's nothing wrong with that, business ownership's a whole other animal. So a lot of people want to do that. Then, then maybe there's a different conversation for that. But my opinion on it is that a hybrid is probably a really good way to go. Um, you're going to hear a few different structures. We're not going to dive into the actual numbers to kind of protect the innocent, right? We don't want these, these doctors' associates pay being out in public like that. So we're just talking about the structures. And I've had uh, four really good conversations with Dr. Joe Denke, Dr. Dave Gendron, Dr. Anthony Hussein, and Dr. Kurt Kippenberger. And we dove in for about 15 minutes or so for each one. This episode will be a little bit longer than, than usual. And at the end, I also tied in with a little video snippet. It's just a couple minutes with Dr. Noel Lloyd from the virtual summit we did last year, where he talks about when he thinks an associate should be hired. Because that is one question I do ask each of these doctors is when do you think it's time to hire? I liked Dr. Noel Lloyd's answer to it. He gave specific numbers like 40,000 revenue and 50% profit. And then he, I think he said 160 offices a week. You can extrapolate that out again, like 40,000. It may, you know, I, I don't know, like everybody's got different numbers, right? Like you may have 50% overhead or profit and be in a smaller town and you, you can afford it. So use that, but it's a good guideline. So I threw that snippet in there, which I really like that part of it. And that's kind of where I've used as a guidance for me uh, moving forward. So just understand that. I, I think another aspect that I want you to consider before we dive into these interviews is that I think I've made a mistake in the past with some associate structures to where it was too much like they were like in a silo, kind of like on their own. It was almost like they were inner competition in the practice and, and things like that, where they were only based on their pure production of themselves within my main practice. And what I, I think is a nice concept and something that I'm, I'm working towards more is ha you know working together and as the clinic grows and prospers based on the doctors and the team all doing their part and setting these numbers, then the bonus being based off of that as like the clinic growth versus just purely, okay, you brought in $12,843 this month you get X percentage of that on top of your salary. That's your, so, and then we're going to keep track of like, okay, every new patient has to be asking for you. And, you know, we have to track this referral tree and make sure it was your patient. And then if you're seeing my patient, you don't get that. Like there's a lot that goes into trying to figure that out. And so I like this kind of work together versus being in a silo idea. And, and we touch on that a little bit in this episode. All right. So we're going to dive in. You're going to hear 
five different doctors and me talking to them um, with what their associate compensation structures are. Maybe you use one of them. Maybe you have an idea for it. Maybe it helps uh, just kind of glean some light into what you're already thinking and you're going to kind of morph it to some of the details of your practice. But I hope this is just the beginning of trying to bridge that gap between associate expectations and owner's affordability. So I hope you enjoy it and then we'll workshop this idea further. All right, welcome to this uh, compilation episode, Dr. Joe Denke. I really appreciate your time today. As the owner, are you still fully practicing part-time or just running the business at this point? I'm definitely fully involved. My practice has been open for about seven years in April. Nice. And um, up until 2018, I was doing everything on my own, finally decided to, uh, it was time to, to hire the associate. And so I'm still fully involved with patient care every day, five days a week. And then we brought him in and he's, he's helping out. So that's definitely taken a little bit off of my plate, but, um, we are uh, we are running a, a rehab, soft tissue based type practice. We do some spinal compression and massage, but but I'm definitely still fully involved. Okay, so you mentioned a little bit of your practice. Describe it a little bit to me. Kind of if a patient's coming in, what are they getting? Sure. So yeah. typically, patients come in. We do a, a thoroughly uh, detailed exam. First day, we're typically going to go through some rehab couple of three easy rehab, just depending on what their diagnosis is. We're going to do some soft tissue work, whether that be some active release type, some grass and type, obviously uh, some manipulation, maybe taping. Um, also have a massage therapist in the office, but new patients typically aren't going to do that on day one. They really typically don't even know that we have a massage therapist in the office, but we integrate that into their care. See if my plan goes on. Gotcha. Like maybe 30, 60 minute massages. Yeah, we typically do about uh, 30 minutes um, just to kind of work it into the treatment. And so it's not too long, but that's our typical treatment. Okay. And you guys are insurance-based or not? Correct. Yes. We're in, mm-hmm. in network with mostly all insurances. Um, I'm, I'm at a network with Humana just by choice. We don't have a lot of it and, and I don't see good reimbursements from it anyway. So, How long have you had an associate right now? I'm actually lucky enough to be close to the chiropractic school, Texas Chiropractic College. And um, so I have had a lot of interns come in, either just shadow or actually work that into part of their curriculum towards the end. And so he came in in uh, late December 2017 and shadowed one day. And then he asked me if he could do his preceptorship here, which was a three month long preceptorship. Yep. So he started in January at that, and then uh, we ran with it until he graduated. And then after that, I hired him on full-time as an associate. June 1st was his first day as a as the graduated licensed chiropractor. Perfect. When do you think it's it's a right time for an owner to hire an associate, in your opinion? I mean, there's many variables, but for you or for some of your experience, when do you think is the right time? You know, I definitely think it depends on the style and how much time is spent with each patient. But I felt like at the time it was a gamble for me. I, I knew I was, I could see more on my own, but I also knew we were turning patients away. And so I was kind of at that 80 to 90% booked consistently, never was booked 100% every day. And I think that's like a unicorn. You're never going to be booked 100% perfectly every single day. Uh-huh. So we kind of did an experiment when he was here doing his preceptorship. And so I 
I told the front desk, every time you turn someone down, I want you to, you know, write it down. In the beginning, it was like we were turning people down three, four, five patients a day. And I didn't even realize that was a problem. I just knew that I was almost booked every day. But, mm-hmm. but patients who wanted to come in at these specific times, these high volume times between 4 and 6 p.m. And, and early in the morning, we were turning them down because we were booked. And so they were having to wait a few days or a week mm-hmm. to get in. And I said, all right, you know, that's too many that we're turning down that we could get in. So I knew that was the right time then when we were turning down three, four, five patients almost every day just due to our schedule being too full. Yeah, makes sense. I think that's a key indicator of where you you may consider hiring someone for sure. So in your experience, other than money, so let's take money out of the equation. What is the main ingredient in having a win-win owner-associate relationship? Yeah. Another good thing that occurred for me was that the associate that I have was able to do his preceptorship here for that whole three months. So mm-hmm. getting to know him over that time with really no commitment allowed me to understand what we could build on. Yeah. And first, I think personality, you know, you have mm-hmm. to get along as, as peers, but also kind of as friends because you're around each other all, yeah. all day, every day. Yeah. I also think, though, uh, at a professional standpoint, that the associate has to understand that it's a learning experience for them. They can't forget that. They can't graduate and think, well, I, I know all of this. It's, yeah. They kind of have to go into it as like, okay, I'm given this opportunity to learn from somebody who's been in practice for you know X number of years. And they almost have to understand that pecking order, if you will. Mm-hmm. And also, the owner has to be willing to teach. Yeah. I don't think it's a great relationship if the owner gets into it as, well, I'm going to put this young chiropractor to work. I think there has to be that teaching component there. And then the associate, I believe, needs to be able to take constructive criticism. Um, when you get out of school, you're not perfect, but you have to be able to handle that criticism with ease and know that we're the owner um, is just trying to help you become a better chiropractor. That makes a lot of sense for sure. That communication's important. Right, right. Cool. All right. Let's dive into the compensation aspect of this uh, short little interview. But uh, before we dive into to your particular structure, what is the, the biggest concern that you see in associate compensation currently? Some of the, what you're hearing or seeing or, or whatever, what, what's kind of the, the biggest current concern you see out there? Probably the two biggest issues would be just a low base salary, people coming in way too low, and then also unreachable goals for bonuses because all the compensations that I've heard of are all a a base plus bonus. Mm -hmm. And either the base is way low with promises of high bonuses Mm -hmm. and or the bonuses are just the levels to get to those bonuses are unreachable and unattainable. And the associate really didn't realize that when they were signing the contract. Yeah. Those are two big issues for sure. And then sometimes you get the the holy grail of crap where you get a low base and a low bonus. (laughs) So we see that too, but it makes a lot of sense. All right. So currently what is the compensation structure that you have for your associate? You don't have to dive into the specifics of the financials, but what's the structure? Yeah. So I also decided to do the base plus bonus. The, mm-hmm. the base is a good base. Um, mm-hmm. It's a healthy base. And then the um, bonus is dependent on our average numbers that we do together. 
not just what he does. I kind of understood going into it that he wasn't going to be seeing as many patients right up front. Mm-hmm. So I knew that he was going to help help me out, help me with rehab, help me with soft tissue. So if he helped me, then we could see more people together. And now as we grow into it, he's building his own patient base and seeing more new patients. And so again, we're seeing more patients together. On top of that, also uh, provide the malpractice for him mm-hmm. and pay for his state association dues. And, and I also paid for insurance credentialing, which, mm-hmm. which wasn't done for me, but I felt like it was important for my practice that he mm-hmm. be in network. So mm-hmm. I gave him that offer and that opportunity and, and he accepted that. So I paid for it, which that was a pretty penny, but again, I yep. feel like it's important. And um, also guaranteed to pay for his continuing education mm-hmm. that I approved of. I didn't yeah. want him going to any crazy seminar. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. <laughs> he didn't want to do that either. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> um, and then the last thing is uh, 10 days, paid days off. Um, you know, vacations are important. And as an owner, I know that, but I probably hadn't taken that many days off in one year yeah. either uh, since I started. But part of, you know, having the associate is, is having that opportunity. So I wanted to make sure that he got the same opportunity that I, I would have. Perfect. I like it. And I know during some of the pre-talk, we we discussed where one of your goals was growing together. And so instead of a bonus structure that was based on his pure collections, it was more about the practice growing. And you gave kind of an example of, let's just call it for the sake of even numbers. If you were, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like, let's say the average office visits was 30 a day. How did you get to that number again? Like, was it monthly total office visit divided by the days that you practice that month? Correct. Yeah. So total patients we saw in the month divided by days that we worked in that month. Yeah. So let's say it's Monday through Friday. Let's just call it 20 days in that month that you're open. So that came to your average of say, let's just call it 30. And then you, you kind of mentioned that if, if you had a pre number, like before you hired him, it was at 30. And then like, let's say now he's on board. What happens if it goes to like 31 per day on average? Right. So we do have to see a certain number just to meet his base salary. Correct. So, yep. so we had to see a guaranteed number to get to his base salary. Mm-hmm. And then once he made his salary plus a profit for the business, then it would kick over into a bonus level. So let's just say that uh, first bonus level would be together mm-hmm. 36 patients per day. So he would be level one bonus. And then the next month, uh, or, or let's say we did 37 patients a day, mm-hmm. then he would have a higher bonus. And, and again, that's the average on average for that month. So I would bonus gotcha. him after the mm-hmm. month was over based on the average mm-hmm. that we saw together. Okay, perfect. And do you keep that as like a rolling average? Like it, the goal is for it to keep on climbing, but does the number always stay at say 36 as the baseline? Oh, that would definitely depend on overhead. So at our yep. current overhead, yes. But mm-hmm. if, uh, and we are looking to at some point have a bigger office, but if we changed offices and the overhead went up, then that may not be able to stay the same number because we would have to see more patients together in order to meet yep. the, the new overhead. Yeah. And then obviously over time and, and as he grows, it could go to the where it's, you know, 41 a month or a day of visits. So that would be good, right? Right, right. Oh, absolutely. If I yeah. kind of figure, you know, I think everybody thinks the magic number is six figures. And mm-hmm. I feel like 
if my associate and I were to see an equal number of patients mm -hmm. together, almost the same amount as I was seeing before he was hired, he could easily make six figures. And that's, that's yeah. obviously took me um, a while to start yeah. seeing 30 patients a day, but it's attainable. Yeah. How much do you think your practice could sustain in a day office visits average? Uh, our highest together mm -hmm. was 46, I believe. And, okay. And that's a lot. Um, yeah, that's a lot. I think given the right patient and not a lot of new patients mm -hmm. in, in one day, yep. uh, we actually had seven new patients today, but mm -hmm. 46 isn't possible with seven new patients. Yeah, so that makes it hard. I think so. a good average in our square footage right now would be probably 40 to 45, somewhere in between there. Cool. So if you got, if you grew past that and you needed to get a bigger space, then you'd be able to see more. And then the bonus would just kind of escalate from there. Sure. Absolutely. All right, cool. So we'll just kind of wrap it up. It's basically you have a fair, obviously the, the salary number is always going to be different depending on where you live. Like, do you live in San Francisco in the city or do you live in somewhere in, you know, Iowa, right? <laughs> like it's going to be different. Right. So we didn't really necessarily need to dive into the details and protect the uh, innocent as well. Right. right. But base salary that's healthy, a bonus structure that's more based on the clinic growing together. So that way the associate doesn't feel like they're kind of on an island and they're able to everybody work together to grow that office. I like it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you for, for sharing. We've um, gotten some great information. I'm really just trying to bridge that gap of where the associates are and where they should be compensated and where owners can kind of meet in the middle with that. And hopefully we can try to solve this issue. Yeah, absolutely. Up next is my conversation with Dr. Anthony Hussein. Pay close attention to how he's been able to integrate multiple practices and the practice as a whole, you know, compensating the doctor. All right, Dr. Hussein, I really appreciate your time today. We're going to dive quickly into associate compensation. Before we do that, just explain to me a little bit about your practice, a little bit about yourself personally, professionally, and we'll go from there. Okay. Um, my practice is a uh, integrated multidisciplinary practice. Been here in Alabama about 16 years, 17 years. And I practiced in Chicago about four years before coming down. Okay. We have a part-time MD anesthesiologist that works with us. We do you know, some in-house procedures. We have a surgical suite that yeah, we're procedure suite where we do some procedures, but the majority is, is a, a rehab-based approach with myself and we had a part-time PT, but we're in between right now. Okay. And then you have, you have an associate as well. An associate and I have two massage therapists. Perfect. All right. So you got a lot going on. Nice, well-developed practice there. And you're, are you still practicing fully or are you kind of part-time or just running the business at this point? No, I'm, I practice full and have my second job after I'm done with the day. Which is running the business, right? Correct. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That's the way it works for sure. So in, in your experience, you know, other than money, so we're going to take money out of the equation right now. What's been the, you know, the main ingredient in having a win-win owner-associate relationship? I think one of the mistakes I made when I was first starting is, is not having a, uh, a good system of communication. Frequent communication with the associate. See, I have two offices, so I, I'm not seeing him day to day. Yep. And so it's extremely important that I keep that connection going. And so we either text or talk on a weekly basis and we meet every month to go over 
goals for the month, his personal metrics, how he's doing, continuing education that he needs to be working on, as well as things he can do on his side to continue to improve his practice. We also talk about problem cases. We analyze his patients every month to take a look at uh, the patients he's having the most problem with, mm-hmm. and then we will kind of reverse engineer those patients to take a look at their specific psychographics or demographics of those patients that they're that share consistency and mm-hmm. like high deductible patients, uh, you know, around the new year, how do you approach that differently versus another patient and things like that. That's for me, what I found is if you're on the same page and, and that communication is happening on a timely basis, it helps. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, communication is huge. And, and some of the nuances, like you mentioned, if you're trying to provide that patient with proper care and then in January 1st sits and their deductible goes up and they don't want to come in right in the early part of the middle of the treatment, that's going to be a problem. And sometimes that's uh, just understanding that and communicating that because there's a lot of nuances, especially that young associates don't really get uh, from school, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, plan of care is a huge one. You know, a lot of them don't come with plans of care specifically for patients or specifically for conditions. And thus they don't have the confidence in those plans. And when they don't have confidence, the patient doesn't have any confidence. Exactly. That's, that's a good point. So, all right, perfect. So communication, that's, that's awesome. When do you think is the right time for an owner to hire an associate? For myself, capacity drives it. And Mm -hmm. so initially when you're, you're, we're building the practice, if you're trying to kind of ease out of a practice, then you're going to have some different, you know, prerogatives and measurements that you might use. But for me, 85, 90% capacity mm-hmm. for my day. So based on how many patients you know, I'm comfortable seeing on a daily basis. And you know, when I start bumping up against the, you know, my comfort zone where I start not enjoying work, mm-hmm. you know, and that tends to be around the 35 35 patients in a day is kind of my sweet spot. You know, if I start seeing more than that, I don't feel I can give the quality of care that I need to be able to give and still enjoy work. Yeah, I think that's a good point. You know, I think we all can agree that there's that number. If it's a full day or if it's a half day, whatever it is, but there's that number in a day where you're just like, oh God, this is just a little bit too much. And you know you're sacrificing something, <laughs> whether it's the quality of their care or your psychology or your <laughs> or your body, right? Like something yeah, workout. <laughs> yeah, something's gonna give. And if that's happening, you know, I think that's where as the owner, you wanna find that number. And then you kind of mentioned like an 85% of that, which makes a lot of sense. Start preparing financially for it. And then it's probably time to to hire an associate. So that's good. I like how you how you worded that. So perfect. So let's dive a little bit into the finances without getting too specific. This particular question isn't going to have to dive into the specific finances, but what's your biggest concern that you're seeing in associate compensation currently in our profession? It, you know, it's out there a lot. Like people are complaining on both ends. It's obviously we wish everybody can make a whole lot more. There's obviously a lot of different variables that are not allowing for that, but what's your biggest concern you're seeing in that associate compensation? For for me, I, I remember when I was an associate and you know, I was an associate up in Chicago and after Chicago, you have, you know, just you know, the market's not ideal for an associate. You know, it's overly populated. So it drives down the salary that you can expect. But yeah. 
I see too many associate positions that are strictly production-based or the lion's share production-based and not salary-based. And for me, that environment combined with a lack of a structure to build that practice. So many times you've seen a associate come in. This happened to me in Chicago. You come in and they, and they say, all right, now go build it. And I'm like, hold yeah. on a second. How, how, I mean, I need, I need some structure here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so for us here, I found creating a stable environment for the associates. So they, they have a salary that is comfortable where they are not being enticed to leave or being stressed to leave. That's what we've wanted to do. And that's what I looked for that I couldn't find when I was an associate. And so I don't think that happens enough in our profession. Yeah. It's probably an issue if they have to get a second job, right? (laughs) Yeah. 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 Working nights is not a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) No, that, that makes sense. You know, and I think that's part of the problem is that if you put a purely or a vast majority of the compensation on production, it becomes a problem. You know, frankly, you're not going to find a lot of young associates then that can come into your practice and then just go out there and bring in a, a ton of patients right away. It's going to it's going to take some time. And like you said, there's got to be a structure. But I, I like that because I think that is a big concern amongst many is that, um, you know, I think there's a fair balance and we've, and I've interviewed a few other chiropractors about this uh, topic that's going to be on this episode. And and everybody's kind of been talking about a, a nice little hybrid of a healthy salary with some, some obviously reward bonus compensation and things like that. But I think one of the biggest problems has been it's been skewed to like just pure <laughs> production based. So yeah. So let's dive into how you have set up your compensation structure. Again, we don't need to dive into the the details of the finances of it to protect the innocent, but let's just go through what your structure is and, and how it's worked for you. Well, I, I borrowed my structure from a physical therapy practice mm-hmm. that I worked closely with years ago up in Chicago and kind of how they structured the salaries of their PTs was based on a production expectation. Okay. So they expected their therapist to produce a certain amount and their, their salary was a ratio of that. So the ratio they used was four to one. Okay. So if they're producing four hundred thousand dollars, you know, then you're paying them a hundred thousand dollars. So gotcha. it's, it's, that's how the foundation of the salary kind of got started. And then we created a bonus that kicked in after they hit a sweet spot that we identified at about four hundred visits. So when the associate is seeing four hundred visits in a month. All visits after that 400 are bonused. And that bonus is done at the exact same ratio, you know, four to one. So based on the production, what we typically take is if, let's say that the associate sees uh, 100 additional visits, 500 visits, then we take Uh that 100 visits, we take a look at what his average collection per visit is over the prior six months to determine what, what value we're going to apply to the, the 100 visits that month since collections hadn't occurred yet. And then we take 25% of that, and that is the bonus for the, uh, for the doctor that has added to their salary. Okay, perfect. So I just want to make sure we dive into that a little bit. So 400 would be the normal number, is what you're saying, is like the baseline for the, for the previous six months? Yeah, that's baseline for a salary. So the 400 is 
that's the number where he, you know, has met his requirements for the salary that we're giving him. And then anything above that is at that 25%. Exactly. Is that patients that the clinic brought in and that, and that he or she treated or that they brought in themselves? Anything they bring in is just, that's just icing on the cake. We, gotcha. The clinic, and that's my job is to build his practice. Yeah, you know, now I will educate him in, along the way so that he can take an active role in this. But my number one goal is to build it for him so that all he has to worry about is being a good doctor. And you mentioned this is a satellite location that he's at. Correct. Perfect. Okay. So it's like a second location. So you set those goals and then you've set a structure in place through marketing, networking, connections, your reputation to to help build that with obviously in conjunction with him and doing a good job and all that. And then that's the the structure that you have. And so there's the the healthy salary. And then on top of that, that's the bonus structure, correct? Correct. Correct. Perfect. No, that's, that makes sense. That's simple and it gives numbers and you track it. Now you mentioned the last, you said previous six months, is it like a rolling six months? Like every six months you kind of recalibrate? Yeah. So we just take six months prior. We, and then we simply calculate the average collections that he's having per visit over that six months. And we apply that number to the number of visits he had the current month to come up with how much he's going to be credited with expected collections. And then that way, 25% of that expected collections. Cool. I appreciate that. Any other clarifications on that? I think uh, one of the things that helped with my relationship with the associates is having my salary structured the exact same way Mm -hmm. so that, you know, now I get paid in addition to my salary uh, I get paid the running the business and the CEO end of things. Yes. But my salary as a physician is based exactly the same way his is so that there is a, there's a transparency there. Mm-hmm. I'm making just what he's making. If I'm oh, seeing cool. what he's seeing. Yeah, that's congruent. I like that. Uh, and obviously as the business owner, you, like you mentioned, you get the compensation for that. And then are you in network with all or most of the insurances? Yes. Yeah. We are in network with outside of Medicaid. (laughs) We're pretty much in every insurance. Perfect. And uh, how's reimbursement in Alabama these days? In Huntsville, Mm -hmm. it's, it's very good. Um, It's a, it's a, it's a very heavy military Mm -hmm. and uh, research uh, NASA Marshall flight center. And yeah, we got, so we have a lot of uh, federal blue cross uh, insurance here which uh, tends to reimburse extremely well. That's good. I wish I could say that about Florida. (laughs) But, you know, so I just wanted to kind of make mention to that for the audience because everybody's situation is going to be different where, uh, you know, if you're at a network and you have a high cash rate, 400 may be a high number of office visits. Every owner has got to take all that into consideration, you know, and obviously collections and things of that nature. So, just yeah, we, we looked also at the you know, regional, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you, you can take a look through, you know, Cairo economics to see yeah. what the, what their average salary of an associate is in Southeast mm-hmm. region. And, and then, you know, your area relative to the others. So you kind of base it on that a little bit too. Yeah. I mean, but those are fair numbers because you, you said, you know, like, let's call it 400 a month. You know, that's uh, a little bit less than a hundred a, a week. So yeah, nice and round. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I, you know, I really appreciate your time and for clarifying everything and, and going through the questions. I, I'm hoping to really bridge this gap and it's going to take more than just a, 
you know, five or six docs helping out and, you know, putting together a podcast, but I think this is a really good start. And I, and I, I appreciate you volunteering for this because a lot of times owners are always a little reluctant to put themselves on the line as far as what they are doing behind the scenes. So I do appreciate that. And no worries. I enjoy it. Up next is my conversation with Dr. Dave Gendron. Pay close attention to this one where it's one of the splits, right? So it's um, based on collections and there's a percentage that goes to the owner, percentage goes to the associate without a, a base salary. So this could be a good option for you. All right. Welcome to the show, Dr. Dave Gendron. I really appreciate your time today. This is, as I mentioned on the intro to this podcast, is a compilation episode, one of the first that I've done. And we're really trying to bridge that gap between what associates deserve and having a good associateship and what owners can provide and and trying to really give some different ideas out there for this. um, What I would say is an an issue, and I think it is across the board. Before we dive into that, Doc, uh, just tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and we'll go from there. Okay. Well, I've been practicing for 12 years. I graduated from CMCC in uh, Canada. I'm from Ontario and Canada originally, so I moved home after I graduated and uh, set up practice here. Perfect. Now, are you, uh, you know, as the owner, are you still practicing fully part-time or are you just running the business? Yeah, I haven't really got to that point where I feel like I'm ready to hang up my spurs when it comes to practicing. So I still practice uh, about 35 hours a week, hands-on. Uh, it gives me enough time to still do a little extra file work and paperwork in the background. So I'm pretty much full time with my practice. And then the business side of things becomes above and beyond that, which does make for a hectic schedule, but uh, it's rewarding and it works well. So Perfect. And so just describe your practice to me, like where it's at and then what type of practice do you have? I am in a small town in Ontario, but we have the largest Air Force base in Canada here. So I'm in Trenton, Ontario. Okay. I have a really good relationship uh, that I've fostered over the years with the military base, both their physio department and their medical staff. I'm on a short list, fortunately, of people that they do refer to. They uh, aren't allowed to refer for massage therapy, but I do a lot of ART. I do ART on every patient. So I think that they know that if soft tissue work needs to be done and the physio department is a little too busy to handle it, that they can refer out to some of the practitioners like myself who do ART and that they're going to get some soft tissue work done along with, uh, you know, the other work that we do. Obviously I do, I do some acupuncture and uh, do a lot of rehab. Do you accept most of the insurances there? Yeah, our, our office is set up. I'm really fortunate to work with my little sister who has just been fantastic to work with. And She's taken the practice in terms of its insurance billings, and we we bill for every insurance plan that allows it directly. And the military and the veterans in the area have a really good plan that lets us bill directly, so they don't have to pay anything up front at all, and it just behind the scene. So that that's a that's about fifty percent of my practice. I would say between military, family, active military people, and veterans, I that's about fifty percent of my practice right now. Perfect. And then, how many associates do you have? So I have six people working with me right now. Right now, though, ironically enough, I am the only chiropractor, but it's tricky to find an associate to come to a smaller town. I mean, we only have the one school in Canada. Yeah. Well, there is a second school in Quebec, but um, they're not licensed to work outside of Quebec. Okay. 
we have uh, the one school here and they graduate about 160 years. So you've got to cross your fingers and hope that someone wants to come to your small town. So I've four Cairo associates in the past over the years and I've had multiple offices and I've sold one of them to one of my former associates. Okay. So me here on my own, but I have a team of physiotherapists, uh, massage therapists, a naturopathic doctor and myself right now, but I've worked with athletic therapists and dietitians, social workers over the years within the office under an associate structure. We obviously had quite a bit of experience with the associates and everything like that. One of the things I, you kind of mentioned that I've realized with some docs in small towns is getting associates can be can be tricky. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt about that. So let's go back. Like in your experience, you know, other than money, so we're going to take the money out of it for right now. What has been kind of the main ingredient in having a win-win owner associate relationship? The key there is the win-win part of it. I have to preface this a little bit because I come from a union household. Okay, <laughs> so. I grew up with that in my blood. So I've become a business owner now, but with, um, you know, a lot of the union ideals sort of instilled in me. So Mm -hmm. it sounds a little cheesy, but I have found that I've tried to build a practice that has a very family feel to it. That basically, I think when you're talking about, you know, a key ingredient would be support. Okay. That's what I've tried to build here is an environment that all the associates are supported with you know a good setup in terms of their contract and whatnot but also just emotionally and trying to help feed patients into them doing you know the marketing work and whatnot to keep a nice busy practice so there's a constant patient flow for them all yeah it makes sense for sure that's good now when do you think is the right time for an owner to hire an associate obviously finances play a role in that but what would you say is the the right time for an owner to do that yeah, I think that the normal parameters, you know, someone's busy there. I'm certainly in that situation with myself right now where you're so busy with your practice that you're not able to get new patients in very quickly. That makes it so that new patients don't necessarily wait unless they've been directly referred to you. You know, they might call the next place up and go there. And so that that's a situation that obviously those parameters, you know, you need the help. But in my mind, I think of it that when someone's, more philosophically ready to take on an associate. And in other words, they're trying to actually build a practice. It comes with something that, you know, it requires a little bit of sacrifice on their end. So I think when someone's willing to make that sacrifice, and it could be a financial sacrifice where, you know, you're now sharing some of the new patient load. But my idea is, you know, I don't have a pension. And when I'm not working anymore, if I'm not able to work, that I want to have business that's been built that can continue to provide me with somewhat of a pension plan type of thing. Yeah, That sacrifice short term of helping build someone else up. I mean, one of my associates that came in, I remember I brought them in. I told my reception staff that I didn't want to see a new person in my schedule for the next two months while they were here. Dave, what do you, what do you, you know, yeah. and, but we need, we need to build them up. And that person went on, uh, we grew two big practices together and they went on to buy one of my practices from me. But it was that foundation. And, and the other thing that is a sacrifice sometimes too is, is it comes with a little bit of an ego sacrifice because as this person goes on and people are calling they used to see you, but they want to see them. And, but that's all part of, in my mind, you're actually trying to build them up so that they can help become the face of the business alongside you, not just you with yeah. constant people coming in and out, that you actually want to build that stability. And that's, 
what I'm trying to do. That's perfect. Yeah, I think that's one of the big things that um, I've tried to get away from too. Is sometimes I think when you have the owner and associate, it can almost be a competition, and that can be a problem in many ways. So I like that. I, I've kind of always said is like, yeah, I hope the patients want to see the associate over me. <laughs> it means you made a good hire. It means that you did a good job of training them. It means that you could take some off your plate. It means you can go on vacation and know that your practice is going to be is going to be fine. Like it's all good things. Obviously being a doctor, sometimes we're ego driven and uh, we don't like to harm our ego. <laughs> so I, I get what you're saying there for sure. Yeah, it is sometimes a little tough when you have a patient who you've seen for years and then they're coming in to see someone else. But I just tell people that, you know, well, at least I hope that everyone else feels the same way. But I say that, you know, we all have a pretty small ego. Like there's lots of massage therapists that are here. And if you're seeing one and someone else, you end up seeing someone else and it works better for them, that everyone's just happy that they're getting the care that they need and that they're getting better. And that's all of our priority. Makes sense. Um, all right, we got two more questions. This is going to where we're going to dive into the compensation component of it. Um, we don't need to discuss the actual numbers. Uh, it's going to vary region and country. I know you're in Canada. It's going to all be different, but we can kind of get an idea of the structure. But my first question for you is: What is your biggest concern you see in that associate compensation currently? Yeah, I. You know, I really get stunned when I'm, you know, on uh, message boards and whatnot, and you see new grads coming and talking about some of the contracts that they're being offered. And I don't want to disparage anybody, any clinic owner and what they're trying to offer, but I just don't see it as something that builds that stability, which again is what I'm looking for in the office. If you're offering contracts with really low compensation or, you know, these clauses that they're only giving new patients for every patient that they, you know, I've seen a lot of different things and it's just not sustainable. To me, I, I wouldn't want, I don't want just a clog to come in and out of the clinic that I can put in It's someone there to help me so I can take my vacation and someone to make some money off of while I don't work as much. I want them to be something that will grow and these contracts don't really look like it's something that can grow that the person eventually is going to figure out that they can do better on their own or they can do better in another facility. And that's the exact opposite of what I'm trying to do. So if we can give them something that they can grow within the facility and want to continue to work there their entire career, because it would never make sense for them to leave. I think that that is something that can, that becomes that win-win. So again, yeah, I, I'm not sure exactly where people are going. I know that there has to be a living, but my idea would be that if you could get in enough support from enough people that you don't have to make all your money off of one associate type of thing, that there's other ways to bring in that income. Yeah, for sure. I think a couple of the deep rooted issues other than obviously insurance compensate or reimbursement has gone way down. So that kind of causes a lot of issues with uh, margins not there, but I do think some of the false decision-making that owners unfortunately make is that they are looking to really make a lot of money off the associate Mm -hmm. since there's not a lot of, you know, in some other industries, you you know, like financial services or something, you might have someone that works for, you know, a JP Morgan and they bring in $2 million of business for the year and they get paid 400,000. That's, that's not so bad, you know, (laughs) but we're not, we're not in a situation where an associate is going to bring in $2 million and you could pay them 500. 
So they're still trying to like some of these owners are still trying to get that type of um, ratio. But then when they, the associates only really bring it in, let's call it a hundred thousand dollars. It's hard to play that game. Right. Yeah. I think to be fair though, too, to, you know, not put this completely on the onus of an owner that, you know, an only way to be successful, uh, the message I'm trying to get out or something that uh, they have to give the associate everything and bend over backwards for them and sacrifice from practice. I don't, I don't mean to make it sound like that. I do think that the associates, new grads, especially, I, I, I do really think they need to be made aware of really just how much work it goes into building the practice, even if, they're coming in as an associate. I don't think that it's fair to be misleading their reader that it's going to be really easy and that if they just get into the right contract structure with the right clinic that they're going to be set because it does require a lot of groundwork. And the associates that I've had that have gone out into the communities, whether it's you know directly in person with you know various sports teams or gyms or you know different organizations. Or even just more, uh, I guess, the name of the show, you know, modern marketing of getting out in the communities via Facebook and um, Instagram and whatnot. They do have to still engage in that in order to be successful in my mind. No matter how busy the clinic is, if they're just waiting for the leftovers from, you know, the busy practitioner that's been there before them, they'll never really establish themselves. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think if the if the two people have a good communication and understand what the expectations are of both sides... And then like, you know, from the associate's perspective, if, if they do want to be a business owner at some point, they better utilize that associateship and do all the things that it takes, that it's going to take to own their own practice, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, or if that's the case too, then there should be a lot of good business teaching and marketing teaching from the owner to the associate. Um, if the associate just wants to, you know, have a good steady job for the rest of their career and and then and they can find a practice where they don't have to worry about bringing in their own patients and going out and networking. And then that needs to be understood as well. So I think mm-hmm. putting all the cards on the table is, is a huge part of it and not leaving. I think a lot of times there's all this, like it's shrouded in mystery of what the owner really wants and what the associate really wants. And there's not a lot of communication. And so it's hard to make either party happy when neither understand where the other one's coming from, you know? For sure. Let's dive into what the compensation structure you have had uh, for your associates looks like. So kind of break down how that that plays out. Yeah. So the way I've set up my structure, and basically just off of what you said, you know, in terms of, you know, these associates who eventually want to go on to, you know, operate their own business. The way I've set mine up is I, I feel in a situation where the person would never really feel like they would have to, that they would always feel that they're financial gain working within my clinic is enough that going out on their own and paying their own reception and paying their own, you know, rent and whatnot wouldn't, wouldn't be valuable enough for them to do it. So how I do that is I do it as a split percentage. So I split a 65-35 split, 65 to the practitioner, but I put a cap in the contract as to how much the clinic actually takes. So once the associate hits their cap, they take home a hundred percent of their income after that point. Okay. Now are you, are they a salaried or are they a contractor? Okay. Yeah. So technically speaking, they would be contractors here. Now there's rules in, in Ontario and I'm sure like everywhere that, you know, you have certain parameters in order for them to be considered an associate. So, you know, I, I don't dictate their hours. They can pick their hours that they want, whether they're within the clinic and they can, um, 
take vacation time off. I don't even, I'm not even told typically it's just told the reception or they themselves off on the computer. So things like that, that help. So the line isn't so blurry, whether someone's an employee or a contractor. Yeah. That's a whole other animal. There's obviously you got to abide by whatever the country's rules are for that. And, and, and I know in the States, it's a pretty distinct line drawn in the sand and, and a lot of owners unfortunately take advantage of that, but that's kind of not here nor there. But I asked because I think one of the things with the percentages that I want the owners out there to understand is that if you're paying them a salary based on the percentage, like you're you're taking out the tax and all that, you are going to also get hit with it, you know, roughly depending on what state in the United States you're in. Uh, again, I can't speak to Canada, but you're going to get hit with a maybe about a 10% employer's tax. So for every $1,000 you write to your employee or associate, that's another $100 that you're paying the federal government. So even though it sounds like 1000 it's actually 1100 You can talk to your accountant to figure out more about that. I've just given you ideas. So if you're giving percentages, understand that you might actually get taxed even a little bit more. So uh, you got to take into the uh, the business overhead and taxes, obviously. So, all right, let's just go back on track. So, sixty five thirty five. So, the sixty five thirty five is the split, and that helps someone get started, I think, because you know, with a flat based rent, they um, you know could potentially be losing money at the beginning, and it, it, again, it's just not sustainable for a new grad when they they're having their business, their student loans come due, and they're paying a rent. So, you know, if they're not very busy for the first little bit, they're not paying very much out either. And, the cap that I built in there, basically, I do it profession to profession. So I look at someone's schedule. So let's say we're doing a Cairo. I, I see three people an hour. We charge you know, more than average uh, for a chiropractic appointment here to compensate for that extra time that we spend. But I would base it on someone seeing three people an hour for seven hours a day type of thing. So maybe around 20 people. They were to do that for the entire month. Um, I would put a cap and I'd set it at about the amount where they did about two weeks that were split and two weeks that were then past their cap and they would take home hundred percent of that. So in that scenario, the, the percentage would actually work out to closer to over 80% that would go to the, the practitioner. Now, the other thing would be that, you know, if someone's building and they're not quite there yet, you know, they, they might be available for 40 hours a week but um, only seeing, you know, 25 hours worth or something like that, they would still be hitting their cap in that case and taking home that extra bit of money. And to me, that's where that incentive to stay is. So I've had associates with me the whole time of practice. And that's where it comes from because for them, every extra hour they work is, a, is an extra, they keep 100% of that money. Yeah. And to go out on their own, it just wouldn't be the same as that. I'd come work for you. <laughs> I mean, just to play a little devil's advocate, obviously, um, most owners are not taking home 75, 65, 70, 80%. And then I think you also, for our audience out there, you have to understand your overhead too. So if you're, you know, you're in a bigger city or a very expensive place, like your overhead could be pretty high. So it may be difficult to get into that type of percentage. Yeah. So just to clarify, a little bit. I mean, I used to make the joke when I, that one day I hoped I would take home 65% of what I build as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> take the percentage that everyone had given to me plus my entire uh, money that would come in and that's how everything would be paid. And at the end of the day, there wasn't necessarily 6%. Well, 
the way I've compensated for that is I brought in more people. We only have two hands to earn with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I brought in more people. So my goals changed from 65%, like everyone else made, to 100%, which in other words would be that if I didn't work, that the clinic would still break even. And then the new, the new goal, of course, is that I could be not working and the clinic actually turns a profit, which is where I'm at now. And it's basically because I have enough people working with me. But yeah. it's not a long-term sustainable plan if the contracts are set up for the people to stay. And so that's basically what I've tried to do. No, oh, I like it. It's it's good. You know, I think there's a lot of variables, obviously, like I mentioned, cost of living and rent. There's also other things too. So there's, you know, before exactly setting your percentage, and I'm, I'm just speaking to the audience now, is you got to take all those things in. You know, you may be in a, you know, I'm in the state of Florida where personal injury is really good here. And so you could be a heavily PI clinic and your reimbursement's $200 a visit. So there's a lot of margin. And so you might be able to do a lower percentage, but that equals a lot of dollars, right? Like it's, you know, 65% of zero is not a lot and 20% of a ton is a lot of money, right? So you got to be able to to do those, those numbers and see what works out for you as the owner and then what's fair to the employee. Cause you know, like, let's imagine if you, if you had a business where, you were giving 65%, but you were not giving them the ability to really get any patients and you weren't providing anything for them. And they, they were only seeing 10 office visits a week and their 65% equaled 500 bucks, right? (laughs) So there's a lot of things that go into it. And I think a kind of a healthy range is anywhere from that 40 to 70% to the associate when you take all those factors into play, I think, right? Yeah, of course. And I mean, I have talked with other people before who weren't new grads. And, you know, I said, I see three people an hour yeah, because that's where I'm most comfortable working. I feel like I get my best results that way. But it's not that I wouldn't have someone in here who couldn't see more people an hour. So I've kind of said, you know, I'd be comfortable with someone working up to, you know, five people in an hour or something like that. It's like, I recommend someone to be more efficient to me and still provide great care. So and in that case, yeah, the person there, and if that was the situation, our person was seeing more than maybe 65% wouldn't be completely necessary. But Well, I think that was actually a nice, unique take on it based on some of the others and a nice little percentage there. I think one last thing on that for the associate sake of things is that stay away from those things where like it's a 65, 35 or 70, 30, the opposite way, right? Where they're only making 25% or something of that, that gets a little bit tough unless there's a, a pretty healthy base salary. We're just talking about a pure split here. So it's a unique take on it. And I appreciate your time. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Up next is my conversation with Dr. Kurt Kippenberger. I liked how he talked a lot about culture. So pay attention to that and when you should consider hiring and then also how to basically compensate on performance of increased um, office visits, collections, and things of that nature. Welcome to the show, Dr. Kurt Kippenberger. I really appreciate your time today. We're going to really dive into some of the associate compensation structures that are out there. But before we do that, as the owner, are you still practicing fully part-time or are you just running the business right now? I kind of wear both hats. I'll practice anywhere between 28 and 32 hours a week uh, in the clinic. Okay. And then I've got a couple of days where I have some admin time built in, meetings every day over lunch. Mm-hmm. So you're keeping busy. You're doing a little bit of both right now. A little bit of both. Perfect. Um, describe your practice to me. 
you know, we have been what I would consider kind of a, a multidisciplinary practice or an interdisciplinary practice. We, we do chiropractic. That's, you know, our, our fastest and best tool to mm-hmm. get mobility. We do soft tissue. Um, we do some functional rehab. We have the clinic gym hybrid model that Dr. Satterley has been launching. Mm-hmm. And that's just been the most recent addition to our practice uh, just this past year. Nice. How's that going? Um, really well, actually. We kind of set some really slow to grow markers and hit all of them last year. So now the the next big goal is to take our 60 classes a month and turn that into 50 memberships a month. Be able to multiply that very quickly, hopefully. Perfect. And then where's your practice at? I'm in Columbia, Missouri. Okay, cool. I know that area. I went to Logan. Did you go to Logan? I did. All yeah, right. I graduated in 2010. Cool. I was 2005. Nice. So I'm older. <laughs> <laughs> You're better looking though. No, no, no. I got to get that beard, man. I I, I like that beard you got going there. All right. So in your experience, other than money, so let's just take money out of it for right now. What is the main ingredient in having a win-win owner associate relationship? One of the things that stood out for me was I got multiple people that kind of referenced you as to get onto this podcast. So you're doing something right other than just the finances of things. What is it that you would say really develops that win-win? I think the doctors that have been most successful are ones that I'm just excited to go have a drink with on Friday after work, you know, somebody that I connect with personally that wants to grow professionally, but that work culture is so important. And especially since we work in such a high, a high paced, high demand or high demand environment, I think that you have to really trust and lean on your team. So I think having a friend is probably just as important as having anything. I remember, I forget who it was, but it was a chiropractic coach that I was just having a conversation with. And he, and he said, you know, you got problems when you pull up to the office and you see your associate's car and you just get this disgusted look on. He's like, oh, he's here again. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, cool. You, you got you to gotta like who you're working with for sure. So yeah. it makes a lot of sense. In your experience, as far as with your practice or just in general, if you're talking to and you're advising another chiropractor, uh, when do you think it is the right time for an owner to hire an associate? Yeah, that's probably one of the hardest questions to answer, like with a hard found uh, number. But when I made the decision to hire my first one, I, I kind of found what I thought was my my ceiling or the end of my glass bowl. And then... I said, I'm going to push at least 25% beyond this and see what that really feels like. And um, I did, and I found a new edge, obviously. (laughs) Um, But it started started to change some other things. I had to sacrifice some of the things, my family, my health. And quite frankly, financially, the first time my first associate hire, I probably was not fully prepared for uh, that. Um, but also by the way that the structure, it kind of worked out to a certain degree, but, uh, I know we're going to chat about that here in a few minutes. So, but I think a lot of us feel like we're busy, like we don't have any more time and any time that you're up against that fence, I just think it's really important to see if you can push harder. Like we can all sprint for a while and see what that looks like. Yep. I agree. Um, I think early on, uh, first time I hired an associate might've been too soon, mm-hmm. uh, definitely from a number standpoint from a cash flow standpoint, but uh, we had a couple opportunities that we knew were on the horizon. They did pan out. It worked out, but it, early on, it could be yeah. stressful. If you're, if you're not ready for an associate from a cash flow standpoint, it can be super stressful. And yeah, uh, I, I don't recommend that. I don't, I don't recommend forcing the envelope Absolutely. With, the, with the cash flow. 
All right, let's dive into some of the the money of it without getting too specific. We're just going to go into structures. But um, one of the things I wanted to ask before we do that is, what's your biggest concern you see in the associate compensation currently in in our profession, right? Not in your practice, but just in the profession, what's the biggest concern you, you see for associates? I certainly think, and we've heard this feedback from from folks that we've interviewed is, you know, I'm going to work 60 hour weeks. I'm going to make, you know, peanuts for a salary. And there's some truth to that. I think there are some very, very overworked uh, associate doctors out there. I don't think that the value is placed upon the learning experience as much as it should be. So I think learning when we're interviewing folks, we make sure that that's a really, really big part of what we're talking about. Because mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you know, money is one facet, but to be a better doctor is really the big goal at the end. And usually the money follows that. Yeah, it does. It does. And I've used the analogy before. It's like, you got to look at it as a residency and Mm -hmm. you're going to work hard. You're not going to get paid a ton. Obviously some people will counter that by like, yeah, but if you're a surgeon, you're going to come out out of residency, making 150 and then you're going to make 300. I, I get that, but you still have to have the same mindset that if you're going to make good money as an associate, you're going to have to become a really good doctor, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that happens right out of chiropractic school. Um, Just like I don't think medical doctors are good doctors out of medical school. There's definitely a lot of patient experience and care that you need before you're going to get there. And then the money will follow if you continue to work hard. So, right. So, um, you know, give us some details again, without going through the actual numbers, but what is the compensation structure that you have for your associates? So it's evolved. And like I said, in our first, our first doc that we hired, we probably did a little prematurely, mm-hmm. but I will say after we hired, we, we increased our patient visits monthly by about 30%. So obviously I did find that, that ceiling or that goal, yeah. but we paid him on what I call the growth structure. So if he saw zero to 50, he got paid X, mm-hmm. he saw 50 to 80, he got Y and it just kept going. A problem I found with that structure is if they get comfortable at any one of those levels, they just kind of stop and there's no reason for them to want to push harder or make sure that people are following through with care, whatever the case might be. Since then, I paid our uh, other associate doctors on a strict salary basis Mm -hmm. and that's how we start everybody off regardless uh, their first year. And from an owner standpoint, it's a little risky because you're going to be bleeding, obviously, the profit that we're losing on whatever visits we're not able to see at that point. Mm-hmm. For the associate doctor, it's great because it's financial security. I know I have X coming into my bank account every month and I can pay my bills. Yep. We've expanded that. Uh, so in years past, then we would just reevaluate and say, okay, well, based off your performance, we're going to do a 10% raise. I think that's good, but then it also then can breed some mediocrity to a certain degree. I think the base plus percentage is really the safest way to go, a percentage based off of collections and probably needs to have some degree of overhead factored in there too. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things that they don't have to pay for as associates, but they also don't need to be running the business either. So I don't think it's fair to do just a sheer overhead model either. Gotcha. So you're getting base and then a percentage of the collections. Is it of the clinic's collections or of their personal collections of patients they see? Yeah, of the excuse me, of the collections that they see. That they see, and then mm-hmm. are they are they seeing patients um, that are given to them by the clinic, or is it basically eat what they kill type of situation? No, the clinic uh, the clinic generates most of the new patients for any doctor that's in the clinic. 
really, you know, it's based off of availability from the patient schedule. Uh, but obviously, if we start to see a sway in one direction or the other, we try and evenly feed everybody as much yeah. as possible. So you have uh, more than one so- associate currently? Currently, I have one. I've yep. been in models where we've had th- uh, two doctors, so it's three doctors total in the clinic, three total. Uh, and then with a preceptor as well. So we've had mm-hmm. we've had a four doctor model essentially. Okay, and then you just really are all trying to doing the same type of care. So and you do a good job of getting a patient to come in to see any of the doctors. Um, yeah, you know, on day one, we tell and close the the patient visit with, you know, we have a team approach. I will serve as your primary care physician, so to speak, mm-hmm. in this office. Yeah. But if I'm off on vacation or if I'm ill, Dr. Ryan's going to take fantastic care of you. And we meet on every single patient to make sure that that's the case. Perfect. So there's good congruency there. And then um, anything else I should know with that structure that uh, has been kind of pros and cons of it? You know, we're kind of just entering it, to be honest with you, okay. Kevin. Um, the percentages, those are the the kind of hard numbers to figure out, like what's a good give and then what's something that is sustainable for growth over the years. So, mm-hmm. you know, in year one, your percentage might be a little lower, or excuse me, in year two, your percentage might be a little lower. And it's making my life easier. Uh, it's making mm-hmm. the clinic's life easier. Our com- community is getting great results. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they should take home more at that point, too. So Definitely. No, without having to see more people. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're talking about kind of an escalation of the percentage of the collections. Um, yeah. And then where would you say the starting is? I know you said base salary and then percentage of the, the gross collections. What is that? Yeah. I was trying to run those numbers to yeah. prepare for you the other night. Mm-hmm. And I think really it kind of depends on what your base is. If you have a really healthy base, you probably can make quite a bit of money off of 20% of your collections. Perfect. If you don't have a very healthy base, I think you're going to have to give more of the percentage of profit away. Yeah, that's for sure. And obviously the the term healthy base is going to be different wherever you're at. You know, mm-hmm. if you're in San Francisco or New York City, it's going to be different than if you're in a small town. And so I'll let everybody figure out what that would be on their own and they can do some of their investigations on that. But yeah, I think that's what you see sometimes is, okay, higher salary, lower, lower percentage of collections or whatever, or vice versa. Right. Yeah, obviously there's, there's kind of a happy medium sometimes where it's like, okay, the base is going to at least cover the main bills and everything of the, of the associate. I think obviously where we run into problems in our profession is we've got some people on just unimaginably low bases and right. where the base actually doesn't even cover their bills. Uh, yeah. and, and then the bonus is too hard to actually get to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it sounds like you've kind of got that perfect marriage of, you know, a good healthy base with a good percentage of collections that's fair, taking into consider overhead and things like that. And I think it's a good, like I said, we're, we're kind of just moving into it, but it's a good indicator if you're getting paid um, at least well enough in your first year with your salary and you're comfortable with that living arrangement, then the percentage on top of it is only going to be the icing on the cake. So I think from a from an associate seeking employment, mm-hmm. that should offer some comfort for them. Perfect. Yeah, and I like how you, you know, start out with the just a nice flat base for the year. Let's get our feet wet and then mm-hmm. we'll jump into the bonus structure year two and beyond. So Yeah. Cool. And then that that percentage can can escalate as growth is there. Uh, that's why I think it's important to track your your numbers, have have all mm-hmm. the numbers right there, know exactly what we're looking at. So it's perfect. It's, it's never perfect for every person. So mm-hmm. you just got to keep working on it. I mean, this is this is the fifth revision I've done uh, in structure. So yeah. I'm sure there'll be more. 
Yeah, it's a learning experience. And again, there's so many variables, but trying to really get to the essence of what a good structure is, and, and you definitely helped today. So I appreciate that. That's fantastic. I'm happy to. Here's a short little snippet that I had spoken with Dr. Noel Lloyd during a virtual summit from last year, and he discusses when you should hire. Okay, These variables may be different for you, but you have to have something like this before you can hire. We don't dive into uh, pay per se, but it's really a good idea on knowing when to hire an associate. Well, a couple of different things. I don't think you need an associate before 160 patient visits a week, at least $40,000 a month collected and 50% profit. Now, why 160 visits a week and 40,000 bucks and 50% profit? Mm -hmm. Because that is a practice that's worth replicating. That's a that's a good business. That's a quarter of a million dollar profit for the uh, for the clinic owner. I would want to have another one of those next to me. Yeah. So people, there was this guy who called me. And he was a dear guy, but he just didn't get it. He said, well, I want to hire a couple of associates and get this practice really ramped up. And so I can take a lot more time off. How many visits do you see a week? 35. <laughs> and I said, I said, uh, that's not the way it works. Yeah. And he, he wanted to fight. He wanted to fight with me about it and argue <laughs> with me about it. And I said, listen, uh, the only people who should have an associate are the people who need an associate. Mm-hmm. But let's say that I talked to a doctor and I talked to one the other day who was 135 visits a week. And I said, at what capacity are you at right now? He said, oh, geez, I could do 200 no sweat. I have at times been up to 60, 70 a day, and it feels just like a game. Hmm. Um, and so I said, great, let's get your new patient marketer and, and let's get your, there, it, it, there's nothing so delightful and fun as to be able to hire an associate and be able to introduce them to the COA and say, this is Amanda, Amanda's going to teach you about how to set up your events, how to, pro- I'm going to teach you as well, but Amanda's your marketing manager and she's going to help you with your marketing calendar. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Modern Chiropractic Marketing Show with Dr. Kevin Christie. Tune in next week for another episode that will enhance your marketing, business, and practice growth. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Dr. Christie's Modern Desk Jockey podcast and share with your desk-sitting patients. In the Modern Desk Jockey, Dr. Christie provides health and wellness best practices from some of the leading experts in the corporate wellness industry. Remember, chiropractic practice isn't easy, but it shouldn't be overwhelming. Keep leveling up.